Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I want to start off by telling you about a relative of mine who works in a hospital in another part of the country. She works in the, or she used to work in the A&E department. And when she worked there, uh, they'd been having lots of work done on this A&E. So it had been extended, so it was a bigger A&E, um, a newer part of the hospital. And so what they thought they'd do is they'd have an opening ceremony. You know where you have the red ribbon and you have someone come and cut, a, cut the red ribbon with a pair of scissors, all that sort of stuff. So it's all very exciting. And then it was uh, confirmed that a VIP was going to come and open this A&E department of the hospital. Uh, and then it was confirmed that the VIP was no other than His Royal Highness, Prince Charles. Yes, the right reaction. And they reacted like that as well. So people who worked in the hospital realized they needed to prepare. They needed to prepare differently because Prince Charles was coming. Um, So one uh, particular part of the already new A&E was given an extra special makeover. Because Prince Charles must have his own toilet. (laughs) So the staff toilets were separated off. Um, They repainted all the walls. They got a brand new toilet seat and fitted that. The taps, they were taken out. Brand new chrome taps were fitted. Uh, A chrome towel rail was fitted with a new hand towel. Um, A chrome toilet roll holder was fitted. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, But this fancy chrome toilet roll holder was fitted, along with, no doubt, some very luxury toilet paper. Um, And one of those special towels was bought. You know the one that goes around the bottom of the toilet that some people have? What's it called? A pedestal mat. Do you sell them, Andy, on Rugsite? Used to do. Used to be sold on rugsite.co.uk. Check it out. Um, and they did, so they did all of this because they knew a special visitor was coming. They changed their plans and they made sure that they were prepared. Well, that's not just a random story. Today, we start a new series on what the Bible says about the kingdom of heaven. And we're doing it from now until the end of November. And in today's passage, we're looking at what John the Baptist had to say about the kingdom of heaven and what it means for your plans, for our plans, for our lives. And we'll see how we should prepare. So I'm going to read that now. So if you've got a Bible with you, it's in the book of John. It's in chapter 3, and we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 12. We may get it on screen. What do you think, Tolo? Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, here we go. Listen, listen to this. It says this. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, which says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me, comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Okay. So there he is, John the Baptist. What I want to do first is set the scene. I want to uh, look at where we are, and I want to see who is this guy? Who is John? So we're told it's pretty much in the middle of nowhere. It's in the wilderness of Judea. I've been on Google. I've done my research. I found out where it is. Uh, The supposed location is about 37 miles away from Jerusalem uh, in an eastward direction. According to Google, if you took the most accurate route walking there from Jerusalem, it's going to take you, with no breaks, 11 hours and 51 minutes to get there. So that's like us today saying, let's go and hear that preacher who's on the other side of Sheffield. Let's walk. And off we'd go. That's a long way to go, isn't it? Or to Liverpool. It's like walking to Liverpool from here. And even today, it's actually still this area where John was, where he was baptizing. It's still in the middle of nowhere. Um, but it has become a bit of a tourist destination. Um, I think, Andy, you went on a school trip there as a young lad, um, as well as other areas in the region. Uh, But there's a road there called Baptism Road. There's numerous historical churches. There is a wheelchair-accessible car park, so you can get down to the river. However, it will cost you £15, approximately, if you want to go down to the river and you might need to rent a baptism robe for £10. So that's what it's like now. Uh, But people still come from far and wide to go there, like they did then, but it's still in the wilderness. So that's where it is, in the middle of nowhere. But who was this guy, and what was he doing? What was he doing in the middle of nowhere, and why were people going to listen to him? For us to go for a walk to Rotherham, on the other side of Sheffield, you'd have to have a very good reason well, let's listen in about John. He had, his life had a special purpose. Even before he was born, it was clear something special was happening. Imagine what John the Baptist would have heard as he grew up, when he was little John. If he went to school, his parents would have been the oldest people in the playground. They would have looked like great-grandparents. 
You see, John would have heard about how his parents had been unable to have children. And then when one day, when John's dad, Zechariah, was, it says in the Bible, very old, he had seen an angel while he was on uh, the rota, the temple rota, uh, to be on priest duty. So he saw this angel, and the angel told Zechariah, even though he and his wife were very old, they were going to have a baby. So remember, John, he would have heard this kind of thing growing up, uh, and he would have heard that the angel gave specific instructions about John's life before he'd even been born. The angel said to Zechariah that the baby was going to be called John. The angel said um, what this baby was, was uh, uh, not allowed to drink. Um, the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, this not yet born baby should never drink wine or other alcohol. And uh, most significantly, the angel said what this baby's life's mission was going to be. John would be, uh, the purpose of his life would be to get people ready and prepared for the Lord. And amazingly, Zechariah was told that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. Um, It's also likely, imagine John sat around the table um, with his very old parents. He might have heard about his Auntie Mary and how his Auntie Mary came and she stayed with them for three months before he was born. And uh, he may have heard about how an angel had also visited Mary and all of the things had been said to her. So from before birth, John would be a man with a clear God-given mission to prepare people for God. But if we're honest, when we read that passage, it's quite clear John is a bit of an unusual character. Uh, I've often found it uh, a bit strange that he's such a crowd puller. You know, why are people going out to see this guy? I've always thought of him as a bit of a, a bit of a weirdo. Um, but actually, if we look at the description of him, there's more to it than meets the eye. Let's start off with his fashion sense. You're not often told about people's fashion choices in the Bible. But here we're told John wore clothes made from camel's hair. And he, we're even told he wore a leather belt. Like what is the, why? Why are we having this attention to detail? I've always thought, like I say, it was to show John was a bit strange. But if the people then knew their scriptures, they'd recognize that the way John was dressed is exactly how the prophet Elijah is described as dressed in 2 Kings chapter 1. So he's dressed exactly like the prophet Elijah. So that's his fashion sense. Then we hear about his diet. We hear his food was locusts and wild honey. Again, a bit strange. But this seems to be a nod, again, towards his similarity with the prophet Elijah. Elijah lived during a time of famine where food was hard to come by in the wilderness. And here's John living on on food eaten by the poorest of the poor. So I think we can forget what a big deal John the Baptist was. At that time, there hadn't been a prophet, someone who'd spoken from God to his people. There hadn't been a prophet for about 400 years. It seems there'd been 400 years of silence from God. And if you were to go to the very end of the Old Testament um, and listen to those words, you can hear what the final words were 
um, before that silence began. So I'll read to you now the last words of the Old Testament, the last time God spoken through a prophet. This is what it says. It says in, the, in that last book, Malachi chapter 4, the final words are this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So there's been no word from God for about 400 years, and now this guy turns up looking and acting like this amazing prophet Elijah. So people were coming in droves to hear him. He had disciples. He was a big deal. And those similarities to this prophet Elijah are significant. Elijah lived about 900 years before, and he called on Israel, God's people, to make a vital decision. Elijah called on people to choose either their false god, Baal, or to choose the Lord. And here is John in the wilderness preaching a very similar message. So now we're going to listen in to find out more about what his message was. The message that John was preaching is summarised in this passage as, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So repent, not a word we often use nowadays. Um, It could be used, you could understand it to mean to turn around, to change direction, to stop what you're doing and to do something else, to turn towards God. So that's repent. But why was he calling people to do that? Why was he calling them to turn back to God? Well, the reason they should turn their hearts to God is because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, the term the kingdom of heaven, that's unique to this book in the Bible, to Matthew, the writer of this book, in the other Gospels, it's the kingdom of God. Both mean, basically, the rule and the reign of God. And knowing John as we do, he had given his entire life to preach this message. And those last words in Malachi that I read a few moments ago, they give us a good idea as to what John is thinking when he talked about the kingdom of heaven. And it's actually, it's not easy listening. Um, Here's some more from chapter 4 of Malachi, that last book in the Old Testament. It says this at the beginning of chapter 4 of Malachi. It says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. So you can see how this is what was on John's mind as he's preaching in Matthew. He talks about the coming wrath. He talks about how God will throw into the fire those who are unfruitful, which is pretty tough. But what response was John hoping for? When he was saying this to people, what was he hoping they were going to do? Well, John wanted to see people not just admit where they'd messed up and turned to God. He wanted to see evidence of change in their lives. And you might have noticed in that passage, John gets really mad when he sees uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the religious rulers, the religious leaders of the day, because they were just turning up to see what all the fuss was about. They thought they could rely on their 
ancestry, because they were Jewish, to make them right with God. But John says, no, they need to repent and to change. But his mess, John's message wasn't the full story. John taught repentance only, and that is only part one. We need more than just repentance. There's one man uh, who knew that repentance on its own wasn't enough, and that was a, a monk who you might have heard of called Martin Luther, not to be confused with Martin Luther King or Martin Luther King House. Is that what it's called? <laughs> Luther King House. They're different, but Martin Luther King, different. This is the original Martin Luther. He lived in Germany um, more than 500... Well, uh, more, how many years ago? I've got more than 500 years ago. I hope that's right. A long time ago. He lived a long time ago. Now, back in those days in the church, you were told that you should go and confess your sins to a priest as part of your repentance. So I don't know how it looked. Uh, I'm imagining you'd go along to one of those booths, you know, with a little screen in the middle. I just remember him from what I've seen in films and old, old church buildings. And you go in, you sit down, there's a little screen there, and you, you tell, you share all the stuff you've done that's wrong. And then there's a priest on the other side of the screen listening, and I presume they say, that's okay, thanks for letting me know. Uh, and that's it. But that's, that's what you're supposed to do. So you're supposed to go to the confession booth, or to confess to the priest, tell them the stuff you've done wrong, and that's that. And that was part of what it meant to be a Christian then. But this guy, Luther, he really felt the need to confess everything he had ever done. He thought, I've got to do this properly, right? So... Um, He'd keep going back to confess. He'd keep going back to his confessor, this priest, often and for long periods of time, trying to remember every detail of his life, everything he'd ever done wrong or thought wrong. And if, if something came back, he'd say, like, oh, I better go and confess that. So he'd keep going back to confess his sins. Um, on one occasion, this guy spent six hours confessing his sins to the priest. And the priest became so worn out by this guy that he told him to go away and come back when he had some proper sins to talk about. <laughs> because no matter how hard he repented and confessed, he still felt like he wasn't forgiven and he wasn't right with God. And I wonder whether it can be like that for you. And for me, maybe um, we're worn out from trying to change. We're worn out from trying to stop those bad habits or those ways of thinking. And as much as you try to live for God, you can feel like you've run out of energy or you've run out of willpower. And that's where we need to remember that John's message was only the prequel to Jesus. He rightly said, we need to repent. And we do. We need to change our minds and how we live because the kingdom of heaven is near. But John was sent to prepare us for Jesus. Because Jesus taught us not just to repent. Jesus taught us to repent and believe the good news. So I just want to spend a couple of moments now thinking about what is that good news that we, we are called to believe in. Put simply, as you will have, may have heard many times, Jesus was the son or is the son of God and he lived a perfect life which you and I cannot do however much we repent 
Then Jesus was executed by being nailed to a cross despite being innocent. And Jesus faced all that scary stuff we read about in in, uh, Malachi. And Jesus took it on himself. Jesus took God's punishment for all the stuff that you and I have done wrong. And then Jesus rose again. He defeated death. And now Jesus lives forever. If you carry on reading through the Bible, you can hear what people are told about what to believe. And in the book of Acts, about the early church, it says in Acts 16, the early believers were told simply to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It says in another book in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. And God did this for you because he cares about you. He cares about you more than you or I can imagine. Here's that all-time classic Bible verse, which sums it up so well in John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So to recap, because the kingdom of heaven is near, we are called to repent and believe the good news. I just want to go back to A&E in the hospital. Uh, Remember the new toilet seat, the taps, the towel, the rail, the other stuff. Well, when Prince Charles visited, guess what? He didn't need the toilet, or he didn't go anyway. So he never got to appreciate that beautifully prepared room. And despite having prepared so well for his arrival, within 30 minutes, they'd ripped out the towel rail, the special toilet seat, the the towel toilet roll holder, the whole lot was taken out, The original stuff was put back in. It was back to how it was, which is really sad, isn't it? But maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you put a lot of effort into changing, and then you suddenly find yourself back to where you started. That monk called Martin Luther, who kept on repenting and kept on confessing, he eventually grasped the good news. And here's what he said later in life. He said... At last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here, I felt as if I was entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. That guy, Luther, discovered that because the kingdom of God is near, we should repent, we should turn to God, and we should believe the good news that we've been given, the gift of Jesus. So we can be forgiven and friends with him. 